After the storm of the past two years, any expectations of a calm 2022 are fading fast. We're barely out of January and markets are nervously eyeing geopolitical tensions in Eastern Europe, the risk of new COVID-19 variants and stubbornly high global inflation. In such uncertain times, where should investors be putting their hard-earned money? This is no ordinary Wednesday. It's an in-depth look at the events and trends moving markets, shaping the economy and changing the game. Welcome. I'm Jeremy Max. Investec Wealth and Investment Chief Investment Strategist Chris Holdsworth has seen his share of market turbulence in just a moment. We'll ask him what opportunities and pitfalls should be top of mind for investors this year. Then, Investec Wealth and Investment UK's Head of Investment Strategy, John Wynne Evans, looks at some global trends and identifies the sectors and asset classes that are piquing his interest. And then to end the podcast, this week's burning question, what is keeping institutional investors awake at night as 2022 unfolds? Denver Naidu, Head of Fixed Income Trading at Investec Corporate and Institutional Banking, will share his wisdom. But first, Investec Wealth and Investments Chief Investment Strategist, Chris Holdsworth. A very warm welcome to No Ordinary Wednesday. What are prevailing forces, do you think, that will shape the South African investment environment this year? Well, I think there are, there are a couple of predominant themes that are going to be affecting markets in SA over the coming 12 months. The first of which is South African government revenue, which has been meaningfully surprising on the upside for about seven months in a row now. And what that tells us is that we're likely to get a very good budget come February. By our estimates, the number that they mention in the February budget for government revenue for the year will be an upward revision of about 60 billion rand on the October number in the medium-term budget policy statement. And that itself was an upward revision of 120 billion. So we're likely to get somewhere around 180 to 200 billion rand above what they thought in February last year. The big debate then is going to be, how is that money spent? Is there some form of personal income tax cut? where we think there's a chance, but that's not the market's belief. Will there be an extension of the basic income grant where there has been a lot of discussion, but it's not at all clear? Or will they simply issue less debt? Any one of those options is going to be meaningful for the market, either very good for SA retailers or very good for the SA bond market. Net result being pretty positive. So that's the first bit. It's government revenue. The second bit is what is going to happen to our trade surplus? For the past 19 months in a row, South Africa has run a pretty sizable trade surplus. It's been well above expectations for most of those months. And as long as we're seeing continuing support and stimulus out of China, it suggests that we will see continuing support for commodity prices and the possibility of a continuing trade surplus along with support for the currency and further support for government revenue. So again, a positive angle. So we've got two positive angles for a change driving the local market, we think, over the coming 12 months. So you mentioned China, but we know that all the factors are inextricably linked. So what about other issues influencing the markets internationally? I've already referenced geopolitical tensions in my introduction, tighter monetary policy in the United States. Obviously, this will also have an impact on South African investors. Yeah, quite right. And there we've got two different conflicting forces at play. The first is tighter monetary policy out of the US, which is unequivocally bad for risk assets. And in addition to that, 
that we've got the prospect of the Fed reducing the size of its balance sheet. Now, they have given some indication that they'll take a fairly moderate approach. So they'll start to reduce the size of the balance sheet fairly soon after the first rate hike. So that, that's a headwind. But on the other side, we've got Chinese inflation, which is surprising on the downside, unlike US inflation. US inflation is 7%. The Chinese inflation is below 2 so in this environment of tightening in the US, we've actually got loosening in China. They've recently cut rates twice, in fairly small cuts, but they've cut nonetheless. They've cut their required reserve ratio, and they're doing what they can to stimulate their local economy. And typically, there's around a nine-month lag between an increase in monetary stimulus and an increase in activity in China. So over the next six months or so, we've got the Fed hiking and then the Chinese demand picking up. And the net result is what would typically be a difficult environment for emerging markets with high yields in the US, but commodity exporting emerging markets like South Africa getting some relief from China. Chris, let's go straight to the center of the dartboard now. I think this is the important question. We know the JSC enjoyed a good run in 2021. How much upside remains in South African equities as we speak? Well, we think that there's a fair bit. Um, the background is, if you look at the US market, it's currently on a 12-month forward multiple of 19 and a half. With earnings growth at the moment, that's, that's pretty strong, uh, around 20%, but expected to decline to around 8% over the coming year. You've got the European market on a forward multiple of about 14, with earnings growth currently about 50%. We can come back to that. So much stronger earnings growth than a cheaper multiple. And then in South Africa, you've got the local market on a forward multiple of 10.5. So the US market on 19, South Africa 10.5. So roughly 50% discount with earnings growth over the coming 12 months expected to be 7% in rands. And then in the US earnings growth expected to be 8%. So similar earnings growth, but half the multiple. And in addition to that, a few tailwinds in South Africa, which we mentioned relating to higher commodity prices and government revenue surprising the upside. So we do think there's opportunities for the local equity market to both re-rate and see an acceleration in earnings growth. So we are quite optimistic on local equities. You mentioned Europe. What about other geographies and sectors? Europe is the one actually that stands out at this point. Pretty reasonable multiples, as a forward multiple of 14 to 15, with earnings growth currently well above that of the US and expected to be above the US for the foreseeable future. And in addition to that, European GDP growth is likely to be above that of the US over the coming year. And you don't have the ECB hiking rates aggressively like we are likely to see from the Fed. And the market expectation is that the ECB might hike by once for 10 bips over the coming year versus the Fed hiking four times, 25 bips each, with potentially a fifth one as well. So there's less of a headwind from monetary policy, faster growth, faster earnings growth, and a cheaper multiple. We have a clear preference for Europe over the US, and that is probably the one geography that stands out for us at this point. And other emerging markets? Other emerging markets are facing a somewhat more difficult picture than, than South Africa. And, and there's two reasons for that. The first is inflation. South African inflation has been remarkably well behaved by historical standards of late. Median inflation across the globe is just a bit above 5%. And South African inflation is 6%. And that gap is the lowest that it's been since a brief period in 2010 and prior to that, 2004. 
And that's partly because our import basket is a bit different from a number of other emerging markets. If you look at inflation in places like Brazil, as an example, and a few others, it's materially above that of South Africa. And that leads to the second point, monetary policy divergence. We've hiked a bit. They've hiked by a lot more. And because of our relatively low inflation, we're able to provide more stimulus, more support for our economy for the foreseeable future than a number of other emerging markets. So within the EM space, although we're saying that Chinese growth is likely to pick up, it does actually suggest that it's a sort of environment where South Africa benefits rather than some of our emerging market peers. Just to add to that point, you mentioned geopolitics earlier. Clearly, there's been an increase in tension between Russia and Ukraine, and and that has negative consequences for energy prices globally. But it's also important to note that Russian exports of palladium account for about 45% of global production. It's about 15% of platinum production. So there are a number of emerging markets that could be materially damaged by any increase in tension between Russia and Ukraine simply because of high energy prices. And we are somewhat insulated against that because of our exports of platinum and palladium. It's just something to bear in the back of our minds. And just in conclusion, and I'm not sure if this is a fair question or not, but a long, long term view. We've enjoyed and perhaps still enjoying one of the longest bull markets in history. What's your assessment? What's your prognosis? The expression in the markets, as brutal as it is, is that bull markets don't die of old age. They're killed by the Fed. And the Fed, as we know, is starting to hike. But they're likely to do so in, in a fairly modest fashion for the foreseeable future. And when you examine returns in equities over time, you typically only get a really large decline, a bear market, 20% or more, when it coincides with some form of recession. And, and we're very far away from a recession in the US. US growth this year will be about 4% next year, about 3 So as things stand, let the good times roll. We may have a bumpy ride, and it's quite likely to be the case that equity returns over the coming year are not very strong, especially outside of South Africa, but we don't think that they're going to be extremely negative. Chris Holdsworth, thank you very much indeed. Now, in just a moment, we'll talk to Investec Wealth and Investment UK Head of Investment Strategy, John Wynne Evans, about what asset classes have the attention of global investors. But a quick reminder that a new episode of No Ordinary Wednesday drops every fortnight. Next week, we'll preview the upcoming budget, the debut for our new Minister of Finance. Don't miss it. Subscribe to Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the channel, please rate us. So, John, you sit on Investec's Global Investment Strategy Group, and my question to you is this. uh, Where is your collective attention directed right now? What are the major trends and which sectors and asset classes are you looking at which would be of particular excitement and interest to you? I think right now, as with everyone, really, I think we're focused almost entirely on the developments of inflation, particularly in the US, and what the central bank response will be to that. So obviously, we're looking at what the Federal Reserve is going to do. And we've had quite a stark message from them revealed in the minutes to December's FOMC meeting in which they definitely show themselves to be somewhat more hawkish on the inflation and policy tightening front than had previously been expected. And that message really was echoed in the January FOMC meeting as well. So we've got to a point now where many of the investment banks are almost falling over each other to raise their expectations for US rate increases this year. We noticed that Goldman Sachs has just put their estimate up for five rate hikes in the US this year, and Bank of America have decided to go for seven. That sounds a bit aggressive to us at this particular point, but certainly there's a feeling that every single Fed meeting is a live meeting this year, and rates can go up 
in all or any of them. And everyone's definitely expecting them to start rising in March. The question will be whether it'll be by a quarter of a percent or half a percent. And certainly one of the Fed members, Raphael Bostic, over the weekend in an interview with the Financial Times was suggesting, you know, he would not be averse to something more aggressive. Then he sort of pulled back and said, but he expects only to do three rate rises this year. So you can see even within the Fed, the message isn't sort of entirely clear at the moment. So as I say, as with everyone, that's really where you know, everyone's attention is directed right now. I think in terms of, you know, what the major trends are in many respects, it's sort of returning to previous trends. Markets and growth have been very much above trend for the last couple of years as we've had the response to the COVID pandemic and the effect of the lockdowns, obviously, that were put in place in early 2020. Bounce back has been extraordinary and we must expect that now to start to dissipate somewhat as, as some of the policy response gets taken away. In terms of sort of longer term trends, I think, you know, particularly things like the green agenda and the energy transition are absolutely key to us in terms of growth and consumption and potentially on inflation as well. We're seeing here in Europe, energy prices in particular have been squeezed up pretty harshly. And a lot of that is down to the fact that the imbalance between some of the renewable energy sources, such as wind and solar, which have not been able to provide the energy that was previously expected because you know the wind hasn't been blowing as strongly as it was supposed to, and neither was the sun shining as much. At least that was the case through the back end of last year. And obviously, that's now being exacerbated by other concerns about supplies from Russia, for example. And I think when we talk about you know which sectors and asset classes are looking particularly exciting at the moment, I would sort of maybe play that back a bit and say now's the time for playing a little bit more defence than offence. So it's maybe what doesn't look super exciting that we're looking at right now. It's maybe where we should uh, be looking for a little bit more safety while we're going through this rather more uncertain period at this time. John, to extend your weather metaphor, we know that the wind has been behind technology stocks over the past couple of years, outperforming the rest of the market. There's been a recent pullback, though. Is that vindicating the view that this might be a bubble or is it simply a market correction? We're viewing it more as a market correction, but I think even within technology stocks, you have to differentiate between the companies which are more established, which are generating strong profits and enormous cash flows, and those which are still more uh, profits are a, a concept for the future, shall we say, rather than the present. And one could possibly say that there's been a bit more of a bubble in that latter group of stocks. I think when there are new technologies abounding and potential for lots of disruption and potential for an extraordinary growth in the future, there is a tendency for investors to kind of scatter their chips across the board, as it were, and pretty much all the stocks rise on that particular tide. And it's almost as if every one of those is going to be a winner. Well, we know that can't be the case. And I think there's a bit of a sorting out of the sheep and the goats going on at the moment on that particular front. And as we saw in the sort of tech boom and bust back in late 90s and 2000, um, out of some of the debris and the car that is currently being caused in these stocks, some fantastic winners will definitely come through over the next decade. So, you know, in many ways, this could be an opportunity. But I think when we look at the larger cap technology stocks, the pressure here is much less. Certainly, yes, from a valuation perspective, if you've got rising bond yields and rising discount rates, it will constrain the valuation. It pulls down the, you know, the net present value of 
the, the future profits and cash flows and dividends of these companies. But we still expect them to continue to be able to generate fantastic profits for many years ahead. And it was interesting looking at the numbers last week from companies like Microsoft and Apple. No real signs of stress there at all. If we to look at the market with more of a telescope view, we know that over the past decade or more, we've enjoyed one of the longer bull markets in history, but there's been a pullback in equities. Is this the beginning of the end of that ride, do you think? We're definitely going to go through a tougher patch. I think we've enjoyed a fantastic run in the bull markets. And, you know, it, it looks probably even better through certain lenses as well. If you sort of take a very low denominator, i.e. the actual bottom of markets in sort of March, April 2009, it looks like a even more phenomenal run. If you go from a sort of peak to peak, it's not quite as extended. But I think the key thing is now definitely with interest rates going to rise, I think we can say that without any shadow of doubt. It's a question of just how far they're going to go. Bond yield pressure to the upside, but potentially constrained in how far bond yields can go up, then yes, we're running into some headwinds. And especially as long as the central banks are going to start withdrawing liquidity in the form of their asset purchase programs as well. We're going into a sort of you know tapering of asset purchases currently, but by the end of this year, we could be looking at uh, aggregate central bank balance sheets shrinking. That creates something more of a headwind. Now, the good news is that growth is still reasonably strong around the world. The consensus growth forecast for the global GDP this year is fairly close to 4%. So we should still get some decent earnings growth overall this year. I think the the PAP, how it's distributed around the market will be slightly different, but it does mean that still you've got some support there for equities. So I think the the biggest kind of problem would be if central banks overdid it and over-tightened and sent us into a recession. Uh, That has always, you know, in the past been the biggest problems for markets, really. There are no real signs of that coming along at the moment. One of the indicators that people look at is the US Treasury bond yield curve. That's certainly flattened out a little bit, but it's definitely not in negative territory at the moment. So certainly there's no feeling that recession is imminent at this particular point. So equities, yes, you know, going through a slightly more turbulent period, certainly, but we don't see this as the beginning of the end. How concerned are you about ongoing events in Ukraine and the standoff with Russia? They are certainly of concern. There's no doubt about that. It's one of those potential incidents which we would put a low probability on, but it would be a very high impact event were it to happen. We sort of you know, played around with you know, game theories as far as this whole situation is concerned, and we certainly can't see what the upside is for Putin in actually invading Ukraine at this particular point because of the kind of uh, sanctions that would rain down on the country. I think trying to kind of work out just how this might escalate on a military perspective is somewhat difficult, but one also feels that threats of nuclear conflict are way too overblown at this particular point. Our feeling is that Russia has been concerned about kind of what you might call a NATO mission creep Um, over the last few years, so about its own security. I think probably a bit too defensive on that front. And it has tried in the past to, you know, draw the US's attention to this in particular, and the US hasn't been listening. So to some degree, Putin's having something of a tantrum and camping his troops on the Ukraine border, making threats, as it were, in an effort to be heard. And it has worked because now the US is at the negotiating table. What you have to get to is a point at which both sides can agree on something by which neither side loses face. So it's going to 
be a major sort of diplomatic effort to make this happen. So at this point, you know, we don't believe and we're not positioning portfolios for a major event in the region necessarily. But yeah, we have to be cognizant of the risk of it, certainly. And then, of course, ongoing tension between Beijing and Washington, which would beg the question, what about Chinese growth in 2022, which has enormous impact and consequence? Indeed. I mean, in a funny kind of way, even though the China-US tensions are brought to bear in terms of what they effect they might have on China's economy, actually, much of China's problems currently are, are self-inflicted. You've got the property sector, which is going through some turmoil at the moment because of what has been allowed in terms of excessive debt accumulation in that particular industry. So there's some unwinding that happened. And obviously, you know, Evergrande is the sort of poster child for that situation. You had then the regulatory clamp down on a number of different technology-related industries through 2021. And that's really been reflected enormously in the performance of China's stock market last year. And then there's also the question of the response to COVID with their zero COVID strategy in China, which uh, has meant that the country is you know, much more easily and readily shut down. All these certain areas are when there are outbreaks there. And there's no real direction from the government about when they will pull back from the zero COVID policy. Some people are suggesting it might happen after the Olympics are over. Others are suggesting it won't happen until you get the National Party Congress later in the year in October or November. So China is kind of shifting its gears as well a little bit. Got this new policy of common prosperity, which is, should be you know better for the long term. And the government has been trying to sort of shift itself to a more sustainable type of growth in the future that would involve more domestic consumption and less speculation in either the real estate sector or in the stock market, for example. And it's this transition period is turning out to be a little bit tricky. But what we've seen in the last few weeks is that having been in quite a restrictive mode for the last year or so, central bank is just starting to trim interest rates. We're seeing a little bit more of a push on fiscal policy as well, but not an aggressive one. So, you know, the Chinese government and the uh, the central bank are definitely alert to the risks of a sharper slowing the economy and beginning to push policy in the right direction. So the prospects for China's growth this year, you know, it's not going to be growing as fast as it has been in the past. Certainly, I think if we get four to five percent growth, I think everyone would be pretty happy with that in the end. But it's kind of the way that the composition of growth is going to change in China will give different opportunities in the future and possibly much more geared towards uh, consumption rather than debt fueled investment. And John, to use your phrase in conclusion, a little bit tricky, other potential so-called Grace One events this year. And I wonder how COVID and the next variant would be close to the top of that list. Yes, I mean, I think in the Grace One category, I mean, we've covered quite a lot of uh, things that could happen already. One thing that's always kind of a potential problem, I think, is some kind of cyber event or cyber attack. I've always thought as we've gone through the COVID pandemic that I don't think the world realised how lucky it was, how interconnected it remained during that period. All the things that we've been able to do, such as, you know, working from home and ordering online, social media and everything have just, you know, made the world continue to run relatively smoothly throughout most of that period. And the vulnerability of all sorts of things, whether it be the financial sector or the retail sector to cyber attacks is enormous. And you know, 
to that extent, a lot more what is being done to counter that and certainly by cybersecurity industry. So I think that for me it always remains a grey swan. You know, we've got away with it to some degree in the last few years. There have been events, but they've been relatively confined either to, you know, single assets or to just a small part of certain industries, for example. And I think it's just actually worth saying, if I go back to the Russia-Ukraine situation, one thing that actually seems to have come out of these negotiations in the last few weeks is that Russia actually has sort of clamped down somewhat on the potential for hacking attacks out of Russia, you know, particularly into the US. So that could actually be a sign of some rapprochement on that particular front. The other one I would look out for is, you know, what happens in the US on the political front there. Biden's days of having control of all the levers of government are numbered. He's going to lose both the House of Representatives and the Senate almost definitely in the midterm elections in November. That will potentially something of a logjam in US policy. And then on the other side of that is what's going to happen you know, to Donald Trump. There's an awful lot of evidence being accumulated against him at the moment on various things. Will he be brought to some sort of trial? Is he going to try to, you know, whip up more disorder in the US? And are we going to see more of that political division growing further in the US between Republicans and Democrats? I think the second half of the presidency could be particularly messy. And who knows whether or not Mr. Trump will run again in 2024. He certainly seems to want to do that at this point, And the party still seems to be behind him. John Wynne-Evans, thank you so much for that uh, comprehensive primer as far as global investment in 2022 is concerned. Appreciate you joining me on No Ordinary Wednesday. Thank you, Jeremy. If you want to read more about Investec Wealth and investment predictions for 2022, go to investec.com forward slash 2022 and beyond, where Chris, John and their colleagues share their insights on the biggest investment trends. In every episode of No Ordinary Wednesday, we pick a question about the world of money that's been on our listeners' minds and do our best to answer it. If there's anything that you're dying to know about the world of money, I invite you to go to investec.com forward slash now. That's investec.com forward slash N-O-W and share your conundrum with us. Now, South African institutional investors like investment funds, insurance companies and pension funds manage close to eight trillion rand in assets. Their success is crucial to financial markets as they provide capital to businesses and also create liquidity for the financial securities that they trade in the market. So this week's burning question, what's keeping South African institutional investors awake in 2022? And to answer that question, I'm going to welcome Denvin Naidu, Head of Fixed Income Trading and Investec Corporate and Institutional Banking. So, Denvin, a warm welcome to No Ordinary Wednesday. Given the local and global headwinds that both Chris and John have outlined to us, what, in your opinion, then, are the potential icebergs facing investors in 2022? Thanks, Jeremy. First and foremost is inflation and the interest rate cycle. Inflation has proven to be more sticky and has seen central banks globally turn more hawkish. Global liquidity is being drained from the global financial system, a system that has been awash with stimulus that needed to find a home and that's fast being pressed this financial year. Equities will come under pressure. I think there'll be more rotation from growth into value stocks, a trend that has started towards the end of last year, and we think that will continue into 2022. We favor high dividend yield stocks. Linked to this, is this the end of the commodity cycle? So I think not. 
I do think we have to be more selective in choosing metals that are linked to the greenification process. Locally, bonds offer strong real returns, but flows have been muted due to political and fiscal headwinds. I do think SA growth will, will remain muted unless we address some of the structural reforms that are much needed. Right. So let's mine down then into some of those issues that you've raised. For instance, institutional investors, where does the real opportunity lie this year? I think locally, our bonds are very attractive. Our real returns, as I said earlier, are very high. And inflation seems to be under control in South Africa if we compare it globally. So definitely bonds. On the equity side, I think the focus will be more on small and mid caps, as well as continued COVID recovery stocks, such as the banking sector and insurers. As far as bonds are concerned, we've always, haven't we, got to have an eye, though, on interest rates, both locally and globally. That's correct. I think in SA, our inflation dynamics, as I said, offer the value in bonds, but a lot will depend on the speed of normalization of interest rates globally. At the moment, there is a lot being priced into the market. The market is very aggressive right now, and it will depend how this plays out. A lot of your economic commentary is speaking for much lower interest rate hikes globally and locally. So that impact or that dynamic will have a strong impression on our bond market. And just finally, then, if we look at all of this sectorially back to equities, what's looking attractive in your opinion? My focus is more on high dividend yielding stocks. You know, equities will likely have a tough year this year, given the total returns we saw last year and a U-turn made by the Fed more recently from the beginning of January. So again, I think a dividend yield is going to be the most important contributor this year. And I look forward to talking to you again. Uh, Denver Naidu, thank you very much for joining us on No Ordinary Wednesday. Thanks very much, Jeremy. Please join us again on the 16th of February for our special edition on the upcoming budget speech. What you can expect from the finance minister, Enoch Godongwana. If you haven't yet added us to your podcast feed, search for Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts and please hit that subscribe button. Until next time, goodbye from me, Jeremy Maggs and the entire Focus Radio team. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendations. Investec Limited and subsidiaries, authorized financial service providers, registered credit providers, and long-term insurer.